time for the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Blind from birth, Luther King has never let that stop him from attaining his goal on becoming a blind broadcaster. And now, here's the blind broadcaster himself, Luther King. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast on the Luther King Broadcast Network. Luther King reporting. My guest today on this edition is the current voice of football, men's basketball, and baseball for the Nevada Wolfpack. Used to be the fill-in broadcaster for Josh Lewin at UCLA. His name is John Reamy. If you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and review on your favorite podcast platform of your choosing. If you'd like to know more about this podcast, find the Blind Broadcaster Podcast Facebook page. And for broadcast events, look up the Luther King Broadcast Network Facebook page. If you have suggestions for people you'd like to see or hear on the podcast, please shoot me an email at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com. Direct message me. You can find me on Twitter at king underscore tsb or on IGL. King.CardinalsFan85. In high school, were there any opportunities for broadcast? And when did you know that broadcasting was something you wanted to do? Or was it even on your radar? Yeah, it was. So I am very privileged. Uh, my dad is a member of the Bay Area Radio Hall of Fame, <coughs> San Francisco cool. Bay Area. And so I grew up going to games with him. Uh, nice. I would. He was the voice of uh, Stanford football from 1988 to 1991, and again in 1995 on their flagship station. So I would go to games with him. And uh, when I got into my early teens, I would work as his spotter. Uh, and he was also the public address voice at Candlestick Park for the 49ers. So I would go to those games pretty consistently and, I was very fortunate to just, you know, I understood that this, you know, this is a press credential. You can't act like a fan and you can sit in the press box. And when I got into high school, I would maybe occasionally help get my, get my dad some sound. I remember I was part of a scrum once in front of uh, Emmett Smith at Candlestick Park. And that was pretty exciting, you know, but big media scrum. And I stuck my microphone, which was connected to a cassette recorder in front of Emmett Smith and got some sound, but there were opportunities. I grew up in a, in a suburb uh, called Walnut Creek, which is about 35 minutes East of San Francisco. And there was a cable access TV station and they would carry local high school basketball games. And I ended up doing a number of games for my own high school uh, on that. And so I, I was really fortunate in that I had access to a mentor and I had the opportunity at a very young age, like 15, 16 years old, to call games. And so by the time I was done with high school, I called football and basketball and baseball and uh, volleyball. Um, so, yeah, so I, I was very lucky and then I got <coughs> to figure out what I was doing and, and somebody to kind of show me what to do but my dad was never like never pressured me into it he was always like this is crazy business you can you do not have to do this you know mm -hmm. but it's fun of course it's fun yeah <laughs> so after high school how many colleges were on the radar for you or did or was there one particularly you wanted to go that had a communications program or was there yeah, something there was. in particular you were looking for in your in your next 
step of life at college. Yeah. It's, so it's interesting. I, I, uh, I knew about Syracuse and I knew about Northwestern. I didn't know if my grades were quite good enough to get it to Northwestern would have been close. Syracuse is the powerhouse of all powerhouses that have brought broadcasters from here to yeah. there. You know, yeah. you actually hear. And, uh, but they don't have baseball. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go somewhere <coughs> where I could call baseball games. And I got into Indiana university and they had baseball mm-hmm. and they had a dist- very distinguished journalism program. And, um, you know, I talked to my parents and we were going to figure out a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had gotten, uh, you know, some partial scholarships. I was a good student in high school, so I managed to kind of cobble together some partial scholarships to help kind of with the out-of-state stuff, out-of-state uh-huh. portion. And I went for a year and I got completely burnt out. I did not want to do play-by-play anymore. I'd been doing it for four years in high school mm-hmm. and I think I was homesick. Uh, I wasn't really into being a college student. Right. Uh, and Indiana university is a wonderful place and I had a lot of fun <laughs> and, but I just was not, my head was not in it. I'm also a musician. I'm a singer songwriter and I was in band all through high school and played in, you know, in bands outside of school, like in, in bars under age and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. I wanted to pursue that. So I put down broadcasting and eventually I dropped out of college. I went to IU for a year. I went to San Jose state for a year on, uh, to study music. And I just was fed up with being in college. So I, I quit and I ran away to Hollywood to be a, to be a rock star. And it was during about a five or six year span in Los Angeles where I was hustling gigs and, um, you know, working day jobs to make rent, um, mm-hmm. that it occurred to me that I might want to maybe pursue broadcasting again as just a, something I might enjoy that I might make a little money in, uh, which is hilarious now in retrospect, because broadcasting is like everything else that's in show business, which is, there's no money and it's a lot of work. And unless you're at the very top, it's not reliable at all. But I, that's kind of how I got back into it. I, um, I started calling games at Pasadena city college. I took some courses and I called some football games just for a tape. They had a student station. Maybe we aired those on delay. I don't even recall. (laughs) And, uh, just was just trying to cobble together a tape you know, after having not done play-by-play broadcasting since high school. And I had a a bunch of very fortunate breaks in that uh, I got an interview to be a board op at KNX, which is a very distinguished and prominent radio station here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I got the shift running the board on the weekend for Melinda Lee's food news program, a cooking show. Mm-hmm. And I happened to get a break uh, at UC Riverside. Their women's basketball team needed a, an internet play-by-play voice. And so those two things were huge breaks for me. And those happened probably one to two years after I had started back trying to get a tape together with regard to play-by-play. 
Did you ever so finish not, your, not very traditional path at all. Did you ever finish your degree? Uh, no. <laughs> it's ongoing. Wow. I, uh, I will mess around and take a class here and there when my schedule permits. So after doing the small college gig and small college circuit with women's hoops, where did your journey in broadcasting take you after that? Because I know there was a period of I had caught you doing, you know, some UCLA stuff, filling in for Josh Lund from time to time. But <clears throat> where did your journey take you after that? So, so the UC Riverside opportunity was incredible because after two years of calling the women's games, mm-hmm. I got to got the men's job. So I was calling UC Riverside men's basketball, which is Division One in the Big West. Yep. And I was calling baseball at UC Riverside as well, and that's in the Big West, which is a very good baseball league. Cal State Fullerton, Irvine, Long Beach yep. State. Yep. So all of a sudden, from like fall of 2006, I'm doing everything UC Riverside will let me do. And so I did three years of baseball with UC Riverside and they would play midweek non-conference games at USC at UCLA. And I Riverside's about 60 miles East of Los Angeles. So I was living in Los Angeles, commuting to Riverside to do these games. But whenever they would play SC or UCLA, I would go out of my way to make sure I talked to the SID or the people, whatever, whoever was in charge of the game or the, you know, scheduling and say, look, if you ever need a warm body in a pinch, I'm in town. So, and, uh, I, I managed to kind of strike up a friendship with a guy who I'm still friends with named Alex Timoros, who's now the sports information director for UCLA men's basketball, but he was doing baseball at the time. And that job came open Mm -hmm. in like January of 2010. It came open very late. And so I got UCLA baseball. Um, I had also moved up at KNX from that board op role. I had managed to claw my way to a PA role and then I was running the website. And eventually I got to do some updates on the air at KNX. And so that really helped my credibility because when I interviewed for that UCLA job, I was somebody who had been on air talent in Los Angeles on a CBS radio station. And that was like, you know, that, that was a, another a very, very, very lucky bounce for me. And so I got the UCLA baseball gig. And that year with Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer on the staff, they go to the finals of the College World Series and lose to Jackie Bradley Jr.'s South Carolina team. And along the way, there's, you know, they won 22 games in a row to start the season. And so I was at the right place in the right time calling these UCLA baseball games. And no, nobody really, there's not like a huge audience, but people at UCLA heard my work and it helped me kind of establish a reputation with UCLA. And that eventually led to hosting the coaches show, being a spotter and a producer for Josh Lewin. And eventually for one game when Josh couldn't do a basketball game in November of 2016, I ended up calling a UCLA men's basketball game. And I think you called that whole weekend for the wooden legacy of my math, right? 
I did, but I did a cu- I did a couple games for Virginia Tech. Oh, uh, okay. Because I know you. So done... I did. I did. Yeah. Because right, I was... remember you did UCLA. I think all three games. Because I think actually, I think Lewin did Friday, and I think you did the rest of them. No, Saturday. Lewin did Friday and Saturday, and then he had a Chargers game on the Sunday. So I did oh, Virginia okay. Tech on Friday and Saturday, and then oh, I wow. filled in for UCLA on Sunday. When they had made the championship game, right? Yeah, against Texas A and M. Yeah, because that because I'm like, wow, okay. Because did you did you do the Virginia Tech game as well, or did you just do UCLA, or how did that work when you were? Doing- I think I did. I did the Tech game on Friday and Saturday, and then they figured something out for Sunday, and I forget what it was. Ah, uh, okay. Because I wasn't sure. And the, and the year before, I had filled in for Boston College in that same. Uh, tournament because you know it's it's Thanksgiving and a lot of the teams from back east have football and so it just made sense to get somebody in the market to fill in on basketball and I was that guy for two years in a row and I was very very fortunate that Tom Bowman at at Learfield IMG College asked me to do that Um, and then it was really cool that UCLA asked me to fill in for Lewin so I mean, when I talk about it now to you, I'm just like, I, I mean, talk about a blind squirrel finding an acorn, you know, right place, right, <laughs> right yeah, place, as, right as, the, as the old adage goes, a blind squirrel finds a nut. Yeah, exactly. a Yeah. So from the small college circuit to the division one level, what was your prep like then compared to now? Like how much did you feel like preparation has helped you and how much do you feel like from the small college? Cause you probably don't get a lot at the small college level, but when you move up a lot of that prep's taken away from you, but you still have to do the same amount of prep to get more information about said players and teams and what they run and things like that. So it's interesting that there is no question that, you know, whether it's high school football or it's junior college, mm-hmm. high school sports, junior college, smaller colleges. There's not a ton of information. And so you have to talk to people. You have to talk to coaches. You, you have to talk to managers on the team or, you know, there's not always just like a sports communications person. You, you have to be a reporter. Uh, you have to be a journalist and you have to kind of, cultivate some relationships to get information uh, that, it, that is useful. And I think that's a muscle that I'm very happy I was able to, to build early on because, mm-hmm. you know, game notes are great. And, and a lot of, a lot of the schools have tremendous game notes and you can call a very, very professional broadcast off just off the game notes and nothing more especially if it's a good game you know Mm -hmm. uh but i i think you know just kind of going down to the batting cage going i mean the biggest thing that the biggest thing that i learned at at the high school and the smaller college level (coughs) which serves every broadcaster ever is go to practice you know if it's a little difficult if you're working if you're the voice for a team, you're not going to be able to go to practice for the other team. Right. But, but go to practice for the team you cover. And 
you know, learn everything you can just be there, have the coaches see you there, have the coaches see you spending the time, taking the time to understand what they're trying to teach. So when you make an observation, you have more credibility with them in addition to credibility with the audience. And it also, you know, you, you might learn, oh, Team X is coming into town. I worked with so-and-so on that staff at my last job. So, you know, just at practice, you, you pick up so many different things that then you can use even to talk to the other team during shoot-around or, or maybe pregame warm-ups, things like that. I would say that is the biggest kind of thing I learned. Go to practice. How long did it take you to feel like you had earned the coaches and players' trust and building rapports with them? Being mm-hmm. at practices, being at games, you know, not hot, like a lot of broadcasters will hide and not, you know, show up and be there. But I'm not saying all the broadcasters do, but if you're going to be the actual voice of a team, be there. Don't hide. Because if you say something, that's not credible. You need to own it. How long do you feel like it took you to build that with the, you know, the staff that you cover covered, players that you've, you know, called games for, and now as the current voice of Nevada, we'll get to that opportunity in just a moment. I think. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I can certainly say earlier in my career, it took me longer to not be afraid of certain coaches, you know, mm-hmm. or not be intimidated. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if it's a, a, a time or, I mean, I, I will share a story when I was first at Nevada and I had to get Eric Musselman every week for uh, our weekly coaches show. Oh boy. And Muss is, I love Muss. Like we still text. I, I, I have, I have a great relationship with him. I had a fine relationship working with him when he was at Nevada. Who's now the head coach of the hogs. That's right. And, and, uh, and he's a fiery guy and he's a, he will not hold his fire if he's displeased. And, you know, he often would, not really be in the mood to tape a 20 minute interview in the middle of his work day. And I understand that, you know, he's not trying to win best radio show. He's trying to win a conference championship. He's trying to get an at large birth, you know, (laughs) exactly. Come on. Like with us, with us being in the, you know, field that we're striving to improve in. I mean, what coach worked their soul to say, Hey, I'll give you five hours of pregame chat. No, yeah, they yeah. have stuff to do. So he would, you know, he used to grumble pretty openly about this obligation and he wouldn't be, he was, he wasn't personal. It wasn't, he knew it wasn't my fault that he had to do this. It was but just I was the guy, I was the idiot there with the microphone ready to go. So, <laughs> so I think about, about February 1st, my first year working with him, he finally realized that I was going to keep showing up. And he just goes, Ramey, you're relentless. I mean, you come in here, I yell at you every week, and you're still, you're still ready to go. And, you know, it's just basic professional, you know, 
common sense. Yeah. Yeah. But that was kind of, I mean, that's the clearest moment when I realized I had rapport with somebody. So how did you land in the Nevada job? Cause it seemed like you were working pretty good. You were, you know, you had pretty good security at UCLA. You're doing their coaches show. You were still doing baseball and those are probably internet only broadcasts, right? Not like no radio network or pick it up. No, not Learfield IMG or anything like that. So it's probably just internet only radio, correct? For UCLA? Correct. Yeah. So you, you're probably feeling like, okay, I'm in pretty good shape, but did you ever think, okay, if I'm going to be my own play by play voice at a, you know, maybe not a major, major university, I have to, you know, take a chance, make the move and go. Yeah, I, I knew, well, you know, the UCLA men's basketball football job had opened twice while I was there and I had One not even with Chris Roberts. Right. I know that because then Bill Roth took that over for a year and then Lewin has had it ever since Bill Roth left. Right. And, and, and I, so so I didn't get an interview either time and I understand why mm-hmm. uh, I just did. I wasn't, I didn't have the requisite experience. I mean, that's a big job. Right. But in working with Bill Roth, who is a dear friend and I still keep in touch with him and with Josh Lewin, who is a, a great guy. And, and I'm, you know, I text with him and uh, <laughs> both those guys were so, I mean, Looking back now, it's incredible who I've been able to work with. Like Chris Roberts, great Hall of Famer. Bill Roth, amazing. And Hold Josh on. Lewin, incredible. Hold on a second. I got to know, because I listened to some of Chris Roberts' stuff when he was doing UCLA, and it was sad when he left. It felt like he had that old school, you know, old time play-by-play. And I'm like, wow, why did they, you know, it was either – the university decided to let him go or he just decided on his own. It was time to go. But what was it like working with him? Well, Chris is the nicest man in broadcasting. Uh, and he, and he, it was his decision. I mean, he okay. was, he was, you know, he'd done it for 23 years. I mean, he was right. good. He was like, I'm good. Um, but you know, I would just interview him for the coaches show. Um, I didn't work on his football broadcasts. Right. Um, but he was great. I mean, he was, a you know, he's just one of those Southern California voices who was seemingly on the air forever and, you know, called the great Tyus Edney end to end layup against Missouri when UCLA made their title run in 95. And, you know, and I did find that on YouTube, by the way. Oh yeah. Good. No. And Chris knows everybody. I mean, he's just, he's a wonderful guy. Um, but I didn't work with him too closely. You know, he had his own crew. I just would right. interview him periodically for the coaches show. And then Bill Roth got the job and, and I was kind of assigned to be his game day producer and spotter. And, you know, I really loved working with Bill and he was so helpful with me and my career. And, and then when Bill got the opportunity to, to do ESPN games and, and be the, a professor at Virginia tech. And then it was Josh Lewin and, you know, Lewin's an unbelievably accomplished broadcaster and he was great to work with. And I learned a ton from him. And, uh, I think, you know, th- those, 
I mean, I would have loved to have just gotten the UCLA job, but the fact that I got to work with those guys was actually the better break for me. And so I figured out that I was going to have to do football, mm-hmm. you know, and I wanted to do football. And right. so when Nevada came open, <clears throat> I was like, well, this is an opportunity to do football. It's near the Bay area where I'm from. It's in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew the baseball coach there who is the current baseball coach, TJ Bruce, cause he'd been an assistant at UCLA, mm-hmm. the head coach at UCLA, John Savage, his whole family is from Reno. His brother is the baseball coach at Reno high school. Wow. And John's mother, uh, Eileen would listen to UCLA b- baseball games in <laughs> Reno. So I, I mean, it was the, a family affair then. It, I mean, I've <laughs> often joked and I, it's probably true that I got, the Nevada gig because Eileen Savage knew my work with UCLA baseball. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's not true, but it's not, not true. You know what I'm saying? Hey, look, I'll put it this way. If it fits, use it. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so it fits, it, use it. Yeah. I mean, so when this came along, there was just a lot of familiarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it just felt like a great fit from the word go. And it, and it has been. It's been great. And you're one of the only few guys that I can say that does all three, football, men's basketball, and baseball. And I think all well, of them on the radio side, I think, if my math is right. Yeah. No, it, and it's great at Nevada. The baseball games are part of the Learfield IMG College terrestrial property, terrestrial radio broadcast property. Uh, truth be told, though, Luther, I this year I was going to take a reduced baseball schedule. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, just to have a little more free time. Ah, okay. But obviously that didn't baseball, happen. Yeah. I mean, I called the season opening series in Portland. Mm-hmm. I called, I mean, I ended up doing about shoot at least four, maybe five games. And I was all set to go uh, call the weekend, March 13th, 14th, 15th in Reno against Sacramento state. And that series obviously didn't happen. So I was going to end up calling a fair amount of the games, but but obviously no season this year. And uh, so are are you still, are you still gonna put that into play with a reduced baseball schedule or you still want to carry the still carry most of the load as the, as the lead voice of football, basketball and baseball. I mean, to be honest, I don't really, I can't make any judgments about, what the sports media economy is going to look like right in the spring of 2021. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I, I have no idea to be <laughs> honest. I mean, I, I, I don't know if, I don't know if, uh, I don't want to comment on that just because. <laughs> oh no, you're fine. You know, I mean, I, I, I just, you know, I just wondered if you, if you had an idea or if, well, yeah. we don't, we don't have any idea. I mean, it's tough yeah. for everybody. I mean, we might be playing football, basketball, and baseball all in the spring, you know. And so, then you could have a real tough decision. Yeah. I mean, yeah, then I'm going to be working a lot. <laughs> so when you came on board with Nevada, what were the things when you took the Nevada broadcasting role? 
were you looking at? Were you looking to, you know, try to make your own mark? I maybe not say make your own mark, but I just did. What things were you wanting to accomplish with this new opportunity since you're basically almost close to home? Now the new broadcaster for Nevada and things like that. I mean, it was really, I, I was really fortunate in that I'm succeeding a guy named Ryan Radke, who now does games for Westwood one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ryan's a tremendous, tremendous person and has been great to me since I got to town. And he's also a brilliant broadcaster. So for me, I was very fortunate that the market already had like a network level guy. So I, I just knew that I had to be good. I didn't really have to, you know, I'm sure broadcasters have situations where they go to a new market and they're coming in and the last guy was a cheerleader or the last guy was, you know, the deputy mayor or whatever. And so you have to, there's a lot of diplomacy that maybe I was allowed to not have to worry about, you know, it was right. just try to be as good as Ryan Radke. And, you know, that's really good advice for anybody anywhere. Try to be as good as Ryan Radke. You know? <laughs> uh, and that was about it. I mean, other than that, I just, I, I, you know, I was thrilled to get to do football. I knew the basketball team would be good. And I knew the baseball coach from working at UCLA. So it was so, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, certainly in my first year, I'm, you know, there were things I had to learn and, and kind of just nuances that you have to learn the terrain, you know, get a little course knowledge. But uh, I mean, for me, it was really just matching the standard that Ryan had set. And also, I came in with Jay Norvell, who was in his first year. His first year as the head coach of the football team was my first year as the broadcaster. So I, I wanted to make sure that I was um, appropriately captioning and, and bookending kind of the start of the Jay Norvell era. That was something mm-hmm. I certainly had in mind. Right. And, and Jay, I mean, Jay is just the greatest guy to work with. So that, that's been a dream. I mean, it's just been a delightful working relationship. The coaches you've worked with, what do you feel like they brought to you as a broadcaster that you've carried into your broadcast that you've been able to use on air and stuff that you've, you know, had to not bring on air, but you've been entrusted with to not say over the air? Um, well, the, the first thing is the coaches I've had the privilege of covering are I mean, it's incredible because uh, like Jim Wooldridge was the head coach at UC Riverside men's basketball team. He was at Kansas state before that he was on Tim Floyd's staff with the Chicago bulls. Mm -hmm. Jim introduced me to Tex winter. So Jim had an incredible resume in the sport of basketball. So there, and, and, and then when, Dennis Cuts took over. Dennis had paid every due imaginable in the sport of basketball and mm-hmm. is just the, the grinder's grinder. And then, you know, I work for 
Doug Smith, the head coach at UC Riverside Baseball, who's, who's a legend in Southern California and, and a Hall of Famer. Uh, and they retired his number. You know, I, just every coach I've worked for, John Savage at UCLA Baseball is mm-hmm. best baseball coach in America. I, I just, everybody I've worked with, I've had so much genuine respect for. And, you know, you look at what it takes to become a head coach and all the hurdles and the work. And the, I mean, even guys that are fast-tracked, they still have to work really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's no shortcut to being a division one head coach. And so I hope, and I try to make it apparent that I respect, you know, and I hopefully will never have the situation where I don't respect, but just, you know, my respect for what they've accomplished, what mm-hmm. their job is, what they do. Um, I think that, is kind of at at the forefront when I'm working with a coach. And then over time you just, you know, I don't, if I think something is potentially provocative uh, and they mean for it to be used on the air, I'll double check. But Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't, I'm not in the business of breaking stories. Right. Because that's Um, not your job. It's not my job. And, and the coaches know that. I mean, again, it's about, it's a little bit about being present. You know, mm-hmm. you have breakfast with somebody enough. You, you figure out what you can say and what you can't say. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yep. Uh, and, you know, being on the road with, you know, a basketball team. I mean, you go down to breakfast, you're drinking coffee, you're eating oatmeal, you know, you just, and watching those kids have to cram, you know, for yeah. you know a test or a final exam, especially on the road, trying to keep their grades up. You're seeing that on almost on a daily basis. Oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, Luther, the amount, the amount of work required to be a student athlete is, <sighs> is unbelievable. And I think, I think that that's another thing that, you know, allows me to have rapport and allows me to be kind of inside with, with the programs I cover is that they know that I see it and I respect it and I admire it. And I'll, I'll tell anybody who ever asks and many people who don't ask, do you know what these kids have to do? Are you aware of how elite they are? Do you know what their coursework is like, what their time management is like? Mm-hmm. And they, know, have, like it, they have to be managed. They have to be wise managers of their time because, you know, if they want to be where they want to get, if they want to get to where they want to get to, the academics have to come first before being an athlete. There's no question, and and so I think that's. I mean, I think that's a big a big part of it. You know, I I have a, a, an extreme level of respect for what coaches do, what student athletes do. And, you know, I think, I hope it comes through in the way I call a game. Cause I mean, it, it, it is magnificent. It's uh, people ask me what I like about my job. And I always say it's the triumph of the human spirit. You know, it is a magnificent mm-hmm. display yep. of the human spirit. Every time somebody takes the floor, takes the field. And you probably, you've worked with the same analysts, I think for football for a while. What is it like? Yeah, Mike Edwards. With, what is it like dealing with an analyst? And how long did it take you to figure out 
the things that, you know, that you could set him up with? And then how do you like <clears throat> follow up the way you and him do the actual broadcast? And how long did it take you for you and him to, you know, build that rapport in the booth of when he gets done talking, as long as he gets it back to you before, you know, the huddle gets broken and what the formation is so you can paint the picture of what's going on on the field. And I notice you have an analyst from time to time for basketball, but for the most part, you fly solo. And what's it like, dealing, so, you know, dealing with that, with basketball flying solo and then having an analyst on occasion? So Mike Edwards is my analyst for football, and mm-hmm. he had never been a broadcaster before he got the job. And he his first game ever was my first game with Nevada. at Northwestern. Mike is a Hall of Fame. He's in the Nevada Hall of Fame. He was an all-conference tackle. He uh, played professionally overseas, had a cup of coffee with the Falcons and maybe the Raiders and the Chiefs too. Um, I should know that, Mike. Sorry. But Mike, (laughs) Mike was definitely a professional player and a legend at Nevada and teaches earth science at Reno High School. So he's a very bright guy and is a just the greatest guy. But the first two years were really him just figuring out how to be a broadcaster. And of course with football, there's mm-hmm. not a lot of reps. I would say the first year especially was, was a learning year, second year better. And then this third year we have had a ball because Mike has really come to understand his personality and how it translates And so he is so much more comfortable that he's the star of the show. Mm -hmm. He's the guy who teaches. He's the, in the hall of fame. He teaches at the high school. His wife is an assistant principal at another high school in town. (laughs) He's a big figure within the football alumni community. I mean, he, he's really like the voice of the pack. Like I'm the traffic cop. You know, I give the score. I say what's happening, but like Mike, Mike's presence and Mike's, reputation within the community is just you you couldn't you couldn't contrive of it it's 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 so authentic and it's so great and so i'm i kind of feel like his valet and i like that because <laughs> i you the know less of you came in a couple of years ago you know the le- the less of you the more of him and life's good <laughs> yeah and i mean he knows the game you know and, and he's really good about getting out of the way like, you know, mm-hmm. when the huddle breaks, of course, nobody huddles anymore. So he knows, you know, <laughs> when they get into a, a formation, I'm going to have to cut him off. And then for basketball, uh, Len Stevens, who's a former head coach at Nevada and prior to that Washington State, does home games with me. I think, didn't he travel, didn't he travel to Moraga with you last year for the, what was it, that the game up in Vegas, a part of that, um, what classic event last year? I think he was with you in Vegas. I think, oh, he came. No, you know what? We so so Nevada played St. Mary's at an air quotes neutral site at the Warriors New Arena. Yeah, in San Francisco. Now St. Mary's is in Moraga, which is just across the Bay of the East. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, Len did go to that. He'll go to a couple. He wanted to see the Warriors' new place, mm-hmm. and he'll come. He'll come and do conference tournament, and and if we're in the NCAA <laughs> tournament, he'll do those games too but he mostly does home games. Now I like working basketball solo, generally speaking, but Len, Len is a lot like Mike. Len is a former president of the chamber of commerce of sparks, which is the next city over from Reno. 
Mm-hmm. And Len is very involved in philanthropy and nonprofit. And he had a restaurant for a time in Reno. So he's very connected in the community, very respected. And I'm kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm also his valet on the basketball broadcast. And, and he's a former head coach. I mean, he used to coach against Jerry Tarkanian. You know, I mean, he, he's got. Oh, I know privilege. he's got some stories on those. I mean, <laughs> oh, he's got great stories and he's just got such credibility within the Nevada basketball community. So yeah, the, both my analysts are, and I, and I'm friends genuinely, you know, socially friendly with both guys. I mean, we mm-hmm. hang out and uh, no, I mean, yeah. Len and Mike are the absolute best guys. What is it like just listening to the, like when they're holding court and you as the broadcaster, just sitting back and on and listening to all of the, you know, the stories before you guys go on the air and things like that. And what's it, what's it like when you're dealing, you know, when you handle basketball? So I think you handle baseball pretty much so well. And I mean, I love listening. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, continue. No, I'm sorry. It's you. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I love, you know, I, I have to talk enough. So when somebody else wants to talk, you know, whether it's you or my analyst, I'm always like, Ramey, shut up, you know? <laughs> so I like it when guys hold court and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, you, there's, there's no substitute for time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, I've been at Nevada three years mm-hmm. and I hope I'm there, uh, you know, for 30 and maybe I'll hold court more when I get to year 15 or something. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, Mike played there in the 90s. His, race, his family there. I mean, Len, you know, coached there in the 80s, into the 90s, and lives in the community. I mean, you know, we're talking about guys who've been there 25, 30 years. So, yep. you know, I, I learn as much. I mean, that's the other thing I should point out, especially in my first year. Those guys just told me stuff. They're like, Oh, he's from this high school. And this is what this high school is kind of known for. And this was the head coach at that high school. And that's why he, you know, I know who he played for. I've just little things like that. Very specific community things. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very good. They kind of shepherded me through because, you know, like any fan base, the folks in Northern Nevada, they, they don't suffer fools. I mean, they don't want some, I don't want know, some slappy on the air. Yeah, they don't want some generic Yahoo telling them how great everything is who just got to town. So those guys really were very good at kind of setting my – they're just very good givers of perspective on on things. So how much do you feel like you're still – I mean, I know we're, still, we're all still learning in this world of broadcasting, but – how much A do you listen back and B, how much does film help you with your like game prep for football and basketball and maybe baseball if there's games on YouTube on a particular team that you may not know but you're gonna see? Or however you listen watch film or go back and listen to game broadcasts to learn about another team that you're gonna see either for the first time or you've seen them before, but they've not been on the schedule for a while things may have changed over the years since you last saw them. So 
film is huge for football and basketball specifically because you can um you can kind of establish the number recognition number name you know like <coughs> if i you know if i first and 10 and i see number five luther king going in motion you know i watch that on film on tuesday mm -hmm. i'm not thinking about number five is 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 king i'm just i know five is king you know what I'm saying? Like you, you get, just, it just pops off the page. It just pops yeah. off the screen. You just know. So film is very helpful for that in conjunction with building your boards, but for football and basketball film, extremely helpful baseball. I don't know if I do it as much, um, but let's say it's, well, let's say, you know, baseball, but I have, but uh, yeah, like for the, a team that you've not seen like before, like, yeah. I don't know, just, whatever random team you've not seen before that you look on the schedule is like, Hmm, okay, we're going to play this team. What do I like? What patterns and things baseball wise am I looking for from this team? If I'm, if you've not seen them. Right. So uh, how, how do you, how do you basically figure out what's mandatory when you're looking at film study, looking at rosters, what are the, besides the basic roster depth chart, Right. What are your mandatory game prep things that you have to have that are mandatories, no exceptions, no, you know, I mean, no, no I, standard the joke, lowered. To, I mean, to my stock, sure my stock line is, uh, you know, listen, I need a numerical roster, a pronunciation mm -hmm. guide and season stats. Right. And that's true for every sport. Oh, and I need the officials. Well, of Other than that, like if you get me those things, I'll give you a, I'll give you a pretty good broad broadcast. You know, if, if it's a blowout, it might get slow, but those are the essential things. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, if it's a team that I haven't seen or if it's a team that's new, the first thing, uh, first thing I'm looking for, is there anybody on the roster who has connections geographically hometown transfer high school mm -hmm. to the team I work for? Right. Um, which happens a fair amount in the West. Uh, coaching tree is uh, one where it's a big, you know, everybody knows everybody Yep. or has worked with everybody. Uh, history, you know, who's, who's the most famous player to play for that team, right? Yep. Exactly. Who, who might you have heard of who played for whomever, right? Right. Um, I, I, you know, I, there's no like hard and fast thing. I mean, I am a, I am a bit of a history nerd in general and a bit of a, I am too. I love my fair yeah. share of history. I mean, I mean that that's something I enjoy like sports history, a little bit of American history, even though, you know, I never civ I mean, you get more education stuff than you probably got in civics class, more in-depth detail. But that's what you're kind of looking for. And so you know that like when you have a when you have the mind for that, stuff naturally stands out to you. You're like, oh, I didn't know that. You know, and and, mm -hmm. and and anything that makes me do that is good. So, you know, I might write that down or I'm you know, highlight it or whatever. Just little things like that. Just something, oh, I didn't realize that. So like uh, what yeah. What things do you 
use to make sure that you create your own boards? Are you doing are you doing a lot of things by hand? Do you still use the computer? Like what's your basic like week when you're putting together because you pretty much know Nevada inside out, sideways, front, back, middle. You hope (laughs) other teams like maybe you're putting together a spotting board for the opponent, or maybe you're, you know, taking one opponent out and trying to figure out how you're going to put the other opponent in. Like, how are you game prepping during the week to make sure that you have all your basics on the opponent that you're going to need for that particular broadcast? So for football, I stole Bill Roth's template, which is great. Can't go wrong with that. Oh, no. It's really good. So it's got both both teams' schedules at the top, schedules for the season and overall record and conference record. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got, you know, two deep uh, defense, punt returner, <coughs> uh, and then – on the right side, I'll just have all the defensive stats, you know, third down percentage, fourth down percentage, sacks, mm. average yards surrendered through the air on the ground, overall turnovers, any defensive scores, um, any blocks of kicks or punts, things of that nature. Those are all kind of the side panels. And then, you know, I'll have the two deep guys and anybody who's got a takeaway, anybody. I mean, you know, you have stuff like this guy, you know, 6'2", 245, hometown. Uh, try to have an, at least one note on everybody. Um, you know, peruse their bio. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, make sure that you have, you know, it's, he's got three interceptions this year. You know, it, it's easier on offense when you're like, well, yeah, the quarterback has this many yards, this many touchdowns. And this many receptions. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and you know, the receivers and the running backs have this many yards, this many touchdowns, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do you – because I've always wondered when they always talk about, like, yards per average, how do – I mean, does – how do you, you know, as a broadcaster, how are you – you know, when is it – I mean, I know it's probably already averaged out, but – You're talking about, like, a, a yards per carry for a running back? Like, average or maybe, like – turnovers like they're, they're averaging like two takeaways a game or a takeaway and a half or they have no takeaways period and vice versa right. like how, do, how does that all you know work and go hand in hand to connect everything to the broadcast because I know a lot of the broadcasters we use oh he's averaging 4.6 a carry mm-hmm. or you know he's had 200 yard games and during you know those 200 yard games he's averaging over maybe like 9.7 or something like that per carry or whatever. So that would be maybe something that's in a game note, or you might just look, I mean, so what I try to do with statistics is never use them unless they're, unless they illuminate something. Right. Like, like, I don't know what, I mean, I guess 4.3 yards per carry is a, a healthy a decent average. Yeah, decent. But like, I, I am, why on earth would I ever say that? I mean, I, I mean, unless I'm going to, if it were a TV situation or a director at a stat and a graphic or whatever, that's fine. But if I'm calling, you know, Nevada hosting Weber state 
in a conference game. Uh, or Nevada hosting San Jose State in a conference game. Like Whatever. I'm just like, I'm not sure that it matters if somebody's averaging 4.3 yards per carry. Now, maybe he started the year for six games, he was averaging two yards per carry, and over the last two games, it's up to four. Maybe that because he's had two spectacular games back-to-back, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I, I look for outliers, right? Look for something, I mean – I stuff you don't stupid. stuff you don't get stuff that are just if it if i'm going to give you if i'm going to give you a data point it mm-hmm. needs to be memorable that's right. kind of my thing cuz we're deluged by data you know i was just going to ask you that can we as broadcasters sometimes go down a wormhole and get circuitry overload we can i mean that that's my number one thing. I mean, Vin Scully has a great interview somewhere on YouTube where he talks about his most important tool is a highlighter because that's how he kind of cuts through all the stuff he doesn't want. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll highlight one thing out of a paragraph of notes or something. I think, I think that, and I've been guilty of this myself, you know, we have a tendency to learn everything or mm. a lot a lot about a player or a team and then we feel the need to use it Oof. and yeah especially on the radio side like i understand it's a little different with tv production cinematic there's narratives and we want to have narratives on the radio too like you know kind of story arc but my god a lot of time a lot of the time the game the game itself like just stay out of the way and let the game, you know, the game is going to be more compelling than, you know, you trying to come up with like the 15th million stat that yeah, or you somebody's know, so, huge. Yeah. Or so-and-so's cousin was an assistant coach on the curling team, you know, like, like maybe, maybe, like maybe, maybe that's good, but maybe it's not, you know, like I, I just try to make sure that everything I use should feel like, it actually adds something. And that's a very difficult thing to do because there's a lot of information and a lot of it's really good or accurate information, but you know, I try to make sure it adds something. Now I obviously don't succeed at that every time, <laughs> but I, I do try to, you know, cause you know, sometimes we just have to fill, but that's kind of my, that's kind of my um, editorial philosophy on that. And I'm glad you brought up storylines. And I know I've kept you way past our agreed 30-minute time. But when we just got started, I mean, it's like two dudes talking. I mean, that's what we're doing. My man, and I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I'm glad you agreed to it, first of all. Because, I mean, I didn't like, oh, man, am I going to be able to get you? I mean, because I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get you for that matter. Because I know I've seen you, you know, because I think you were tweeting some stuff out, I think. And then I'm just, you know what? I'm just going to see what I can get on a Friday. And storylines. How do you know which ones that you want to use and which ones you can't use because the time doesn't, you know, or the game doesn't fit it, but you know you're probably going to have to use it at some point. Or the game takes you in another direction where you can't use it, but you know at some point you will need it at some so point. So this, this is another thing I got from Bill Roth. He would write down. He would write it down and kind of pin it up on the side 
if memory serves. But I hope I don't have this wrong. Bill, if I have this wrong, I'm sorry. But he would, you know, big yellow legal pad or something, just kind of some storylines, maybe five mm -hmm. for each team. Uh, and this is football, but it works in baseball. And but I tell you what, baseball is different because there's so many games and there's so much human suffering in baseball. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so much <laughs> like the story, you know, so-and-so's 0 for 8. And, you know, so it was over his last eight. He's had, he yeah. hadn't had a base hit in his last yeah. 15 at batch. And, and you, and because of baseball, so incremental, you can just kind of chart the growing despair. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Cause unfortunately, especially with your, when you're with a team, even if it's college, minor leagues, major leagues, I mean, it's a day by day slogathon. Yes. <laughs> so those, those storylines Baseball storylines are a little bit more like, uh, I don't know, they, they, yeah, they, they, they kind of sculpt themselves. You just have to right. kind of document them. I don't, a baseball storyline is a little bit more like a legal case. You just have to keep good notes. <laughs> like, just kind of pay attention. For football, it's always coaches. I mean, you know, so-and-so has never won in the stadium. I mean, you know, Jay Norvell is great because he – you know, he's, he's coached everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so when he hasn't coached a team, it's noteworthy. Or if he doesn't have any connection to the other team's coaching staff, it's noteworthy. Or, Hey, the last time he was here, he was losing Super Bowl 37 as a member of Bill Callahan's coaching staff. I remember we Nevada played at San Diego state, my first year at Qualcomm, Jack mm -hmm. Murphy stadium, whatever. Yes. And uh, I think it's uh SDCCU Stadium. Yeah, I think but, it's like uh, San Diego yeah, County it's a Credit, Credit Union Stadium. Yeah. That's a long name. Yeah. But, you know, Jay, maybe one other time, but Jay had, you know, lost a Super Bowl in that stadium. That's, right. that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that doesn't happen every game. Right. So I just, I mean, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's no hard and fast rule, but it, it's things that, I mean, truly, it's just, I try to, I try to, when you listen to a broadcast, I don't want it to be terribly different from something I would tell you in a conversation. You know, if we were at a bar, you know, if we were hanging out, listening to a game, mm -hmm. if we we're, you know what I'm saying? Like, I would just exactly. say, Hey, do you, Hey, do you know this? I mean, I might say it a little differently, but, uh, that, that's kind of my, that's kind of my, uh, my rule of thumb, like would I want to tell somebody this if we were sitting at a tavern? What's it like dealing with the broadcasters in your conference? I know you talk, told me about you. I mean, San Diego state with the legendary Ted Leitner, but what about the other broadcasters in the conference and how often do all the guys like get together and swap stories and things like that? Cause I know it's hard on a game day, but how often do you like, you know, try to email the guys or call and get information for, a particular team you're playing against. Everybody's great uh, in the Mountain West. I mean, I I haven't really ever dealt with too many jerk broadcasters. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of it helps that some of them may have known my dad, uh, or they may know my brother, who's also a broadcaster. So there, there's really? kind of that. Yeah, I know your brother was broadcaster. Yeah, he's the voice of the San Jose Earthquakes in the MLS. He oh, is he also is? having he's having a quiet spring, like we all are. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't know your brother was actually broadcasting soccer. I didn't know that. Yeah, he does soccer. I'm trying to remember what his name is. I I know his last That's, name. It's okay. It's Ted. He's he's Ted Ramey. He's my younger oh, brother. Oh, okay. 
Maybe I can look um, them up sometime. So at some point. Oh yeah, for sure. He uh, continue. No, I I'll give you his information. He uh, but so there's kind of that you know it's a bit of a novelty, especially guys in the West would know my dad and my brother at this mm-hmm. point. Um, but I mean, dudes are super. First of all, Ted Leitner is incredible, and he's a legend. And uh, I don't even know so how nice he does. I, I I can't. I don't even know how he does it all. Because I mean, he does San Diego State football. He does San Diego Padres baseball. He does San Diego State basketball. Unless it's an overlap with baseball spring training. I mean, he's a machine. He's a machine. Does does, does he ever take time off? <laughs> I don't know, but he's the nicest man, and he's great to listen to. <laughs> I mean, he's he's great. Uh, I know. So John Sandler, who's the voice of UNLV basketball, was mm-hmm. an intern with my dad in the '90s in San Francisco. Holy smokes! So I knew John when I was a little kid, and so when I'm in Vegas, I'll try to meet up with him. Um, you know, it, it, I don't socialize too much because we're kind of in and out. I mean, Bob mm-hmm. Beeler's always so good to me in Boise. Roth has been great when we go to Colorado State. Uh, that would I mean, be Brian Roth. Yeah, the other Roth. Yeah, no relation. Uh, you know, I mean, Neil's great. And uh, uh, Robert, excuse me, Robert is great in uh, in Albuquerque. Robert Portman. Um, yeah, I know. He's the best. Neil Portnoy used to be the uh, president of the Grammys, the Recording Academy. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Wrong. Wrong. Uh, well, no, Robert's, you, I mean, everybody, you, you Robert is always. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, so that's what happens when you get a text. Your brain turns to mush. <laughs> I, I look down at my phone and I'm, I'm messing up Portnoy's name. Thanks. That's, a, that's, a, that's a foul on me. Oh, no. Now, everybody's good. I mean, Justin's great at San Jose State. Uh, yeah, no, I get I mean, everybody's cool. But we don't, I don't socialize too much. I guess Vegas, I'll try to see Sandler just because we can tell dumb stories about my dad. <laughs> and, and John and I also, I mean, we've got some common friends in addition to that. Um, but everybody's very helpful. You know, and I always make a point of that whenever somebody comes to our home facility. You know, you try to be like, hey, is everything working? You know, do you need anything? Do, do you need to find our SID? Do you have, you know, because you know how to, I mean, sometimes you're just scrambling. Sure. You know, for whatever reason, you're like, uh, this isn't working or my engineer's sick or, you know, whatever. So I always really try to check in on folks when they come to our place. And people generally extend that same courtesy to me when I'm on the road. Find a couple of things for you because at night. <laughs> um, how do you feel like you know you're ready for the actual game broadcast? Like, are there things that you're looking at to make sure that you have all the stuff that you need, like while you're in the press box, and hopefully you got all your interviews completed and everything else? And are there any uh, final touch-ups to your notes that you feel like you have to do, or? you feel like you have all that stuff together way before um, game time in advance? The the thing that helps me the most is I try to produce my pregame show. Uh, even if I end up doing part of it live, I want it all kind of scripted. 
mm-hmm. if not outright recorded. <clears throat> so the, the process of writing, voicing, and editing my 30-minute pregame for basketball uh, or my hour pregame for football mm-hmm. uh, or even my 20-minute pregame for baseball, that process is good for me because it helps me that helps distill the storylines for both teams. It, you know, ideally it features actualities from both coaches. So I kind of hear what the coaches are saying and thinking about their own team and the matchup. Um, And then, you know, I'm setting up what we anticipate the matchups will be that matter and where the game might hinge. Um, And so that process is a, is a distillation of ideas mm-hmm. and kind of observations. Yep. And, and that, and when I complete my pregame and I know my pregame is either in the can or like the produced elements are in the can and I'm ready to go on that. And that's usually the night before I, f- I feel real good. Uh, and if I, you know, if I don't get it done or if I have to kind of wing it timing, like I get, I try to make sure that's done the night before almost always. Cause then I can, Cause then, then the thing's already like the ship is built and the sails are up. You just have to put wind in it, you know? Yep. So do you do any quick hits with your color analyst on the recorded pregame or is that just game broadcast mode when he actually comes in and do you create any like scene setter with highlights or anything? For your so broadcast? I try to do a little, I try to do a little scene setter monologue at the top. I try to get the, analysts voice in as quickly as possible. Uh, and I try to hear from both coaches mm-hmm. is kind of what I, what I like to do. In my but if you game. can't hear from, you know, the opponent, how do you, you know, make sure that you have something about the opponent, even though you may have to, you know, do that live instead of recording it. Well, there's usually, especially for football, but also for basketball. That I mean, there's there's usually a coach's show where you can lift a, a soundbite or a post game press conference or a weekly press conference. There's usually something just so we can say that's so and so, and that's courtesy of so and so, and they're talking about the last game and the matchup coming up with Nevada. I mean, that's kind of I just I tr- really actually try rather specifically every game to hear from the opposing coach. Um, because in college athletics, I think the, the opposing coach is frankly allowed to say a little bit more interesting stuff. You know, college student athletes are obviously have a lot to say and are very thoughtful people, but I don't, I don't know if they're always, it's not quite like when they're professional athletes and they can really speak their minds. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So, so I tend to find the more illuminating quotes will come from the, from the, the coaches. Coach. Yeah. And if I don't get that, I don't know. I guess I feel, <laughs> <laughs> I tell the joke, I tell the joke. No, I'm kidding. So are you still doing music or with the, with doing Nevada stuff that doesn't give you a lot of time for music or what things are you like working on when you don't get the, when you're either a taking a break or B if you're going to take, you know, a lighter baseball load, you think that'll give you more time to do other things like maybe get back into the music scene or is that something you're still doing when you get some spare time? 
Yeah, so I've, I've stopped. I haven't played live with my band uh, since I got the Nevada gig. I haven't been booking band like shows, but I did finish my third album and put that out in October of 2017. And right when the pandemic struck, I was just wrapping up my fourth record. So I've stayed active in the recording studio um, this whole time. And so when this is over, hopefully I can wrap up the record and put it out. And, uh, I, you know, gigging, especially the band is, is, it's not all glamorous. You know, it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of overhead and you, you want to make sure that it's kind of worth everybody's time and trouble. The same so, thing like in broadcasting. It's still a lot work. like that. It's a lot like that. And, you know, uh, so I had some thoughts about maybe doing a limited tour or appearances live, but maybe more solo acoustic guitar kind of stuff. I mean, I like to rock, but you know, I don't, it's, I was going to kind of maybe see if people liked were receptive to that. And then if they like that, then I'll book a full band show. But I had the, you know, I had anticipated playing for some other people too uh, over the summer, just picking up, mm-hmm. you know, cause I play, I play bass and there's usually work for bass players mm-hmm. uh, across all genres. And so I was, <laughs> I was kind of looking forward to getting back into that groove, but that's fine. We'll, we'll set it out. We'll wait. There will be music again. So mm-hmm. there will be everything again, but, but thank you whatever, for asking about that. Whatever the new normal is going to be, that's what it's going to be. That's right. We, we don't know what the new normal is yet. My thanks to the voice of the Nevada Wolfpack, John Ramey, for being my guest on this edition of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, a proud entity of the Wither King Broadcast Network. If you'd like to learn more about this podcast, go to Facebook and search the Blind Broadcaster Podcast. If you would like to know more about the Wither King Broadcast Network, go look up Luther King Broadcast Network Facebook page on Facebook. And if you'd like to have or suggest guests to be on the podcast, you can email me at luther.king dot tsb at gmail.com find me on twitter at king underscore tsb and on instagram at lking dot cardinals fan 85 until next time this is luther king reporting on the blind broadcaster podcast a proud entity and exclusive home on the luther king broadcast network so long everybody You've been listening to the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Blind from birth, Luther King never let that stop him from attaining his goal of becoming a blind broadcaster. To find out more about the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network, search the Blind Broadcaster Podcast or Luther King Broadcast Network on social media or visit Luther King Broadcast Network. Network.com.